Good morning. Uh, how nice to see you all here. We were speculating that on Boxing Day there might just be the five of us. Uh, Eddie, me, Ronnie, Mary, somebody, um, you know, whatever. But uh, it's good to see you. Hope you're having a good uh, Christmas so far and will continue to do so. Uh, in a moment, Dan is going to come and read our Bible reading for us, and if you want to look that up, that's in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. But um, I need to give you a short warning beforehand. I don't know whether you take any notice of the warnings we sometimes get on our televisions. You, uh, you probably know the kind of thing. Uh, the following report contains flash photography. Maybe that doesn't affect you, but sometimes flashing images have detrimental effects on people who are particularly susceptible to seizures or that kind of thing, so they give us a little warning about it. Perhaps we take more notice of the one that says, uh, match of the day follows this report, so if you don't want to know the score, please look away now. Um, If only they'd given that one before the cricket score this morning. Anyway, and then there's the one about This film includes adult language and some scenes that viewers may find objectionable. Why do they give us warnings? Because they can affect our mental state. They can affect our future excitement or joy of what's going to happen next. They just disappoint us and we find them objectionable. So they give us nice warnings. As Dan comes to read the reading for us, I need to tell you that the reading and the sermon that follows centers around a four-letter word that some people may find objectionable. Dan. The reading is from Matthew chapter 2 and starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream that to go, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Did you notice the word? Sometimes when we get nasty words in broadcasts and things, they bleep them out, don't they? Did you notice the word? Magi came from the east and came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born beep of the Jews? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The word is king. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, as we come to learn from your word this morning, we pray that you will open our hearts and minds to the good news and help us in how we respond to it. Amen. Let's take a moment to talk about gospel. Gospel. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word gospel. Perhaps for many of us, the word will be the gospel. We think about the coming of the Lord Jesus and how he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the dead and he has now ascended into heaven. A very brief summary of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps that's what you think of when you hear the word gospel. Or perhaps you think of the gospels, plural. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts that we have at the beginning of the New Testament that tell us the story about Jesus. You may know that the word gospel as we have it is derived from the Old English, God spell. God, good, spell, news or story. So coming down through the Old English, we finish up with gospel, a kind of run together, abbreviation kind of, of it. But it means good news, good story. I was writing to a friend uh, a few weeks ago and I happened to mention in my letter that uh, gospel means good, story, good, good news and he wrote back and he said, I'd never heard that before, never heard it. But um, if you go back even further, 
beyond the old English. You can do this on Wikipedia and places like that. I'm no expert in these things, as you probably realize, but you can look it up as well as I can. You'll find that the word comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is euangelion. Euangelion. You think, well, I don't need to remember that. Perhaps you don't need to remember it if you want to help remembering it. I sometimes think of it as you, that's you, on the Cutty Sark. All right? Now, all those who know that the Cutty Sark is not a galleon but a clipper form an orderly queue afterwards. Um, okay? But you get the idea. An old-fashioned sailing ship, you on a galleon. You on galleon. And that's the word that's used throughout the New Testament for good news or gospel. But it's not, interestingly, a word that the gospel writers invented. If you look back a bit, and you know the old internet's very useful at this kind of thing, you'll find that that word was used by Homer 800, 700 or 800 BC, long time before Jesus, to mean good news. And it still means simply good news. There's things like, hey, good news, I've, I've found my glasses. Ronnie and I have that kind of conversation quite often. But it goes beyond that as to a different kind of good news, because it also came down to mean good news, there's a new kingdom and a new king. It was used, for instance, by Alexander the Great, 300 BC, when he's rampaging all over the world. And yes, he rampaged all over the world and he, he fought lots of people and he imposed his will by might and by power to some extent. But he also brought good news that the kingdom of Greece is here and there's a new kingdom and he's called Alexander. And the coming of the Greek kingdom was, for many people, good news. He brought formalized education. He brought entertainment. You've seen the amphitheaters that they tended to build. He brought generalized health care for people. And athletics and games and physical fitness were pillars of the Greek culture at the time. It reminded me slightly of that thing from... Um, I'm forgetting which program it is now, but the, uh, they, they talked to me on stage about what have the Romans ever done for us? That was, um, uh, well, you know which program it was. Anyway, there we are. So perhaps we begin to see the double meaning that lay behind the concept of a euangelion of good news, that yes, there's good news, it's generalized good news, but it's also the good news that there's a new king and a new kingdom. If we were to turn over in our Bibles to the end of Matthew's gospel and the beginning verse of Mark's gospel, the next gospel together, we would find that Mark says, Mark's gospel 1 verse 1, in the Bible that you have in your pew, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And there's that euangelion word. If you had the King James Version, you'd find it would say the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
But you might say, hold on a minute, guys. I've got an objection here. We've already got a kingdom. We've already got a king. The kingdom at this time that Mark's writing about, the kingdom is Rome. The king is Caesar. If we come onto a more local scale, we find that the kingdom is Judah and the king is Herod. And yet, the gospel writers come and say, there's a new king. There's a new kingdom. And Mark, if we were to stay with his thing for just a moment, would say to us, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written by the prophet. And he goes on to quote Isaiah. You see, this new king and this new kingdom has been predicted, predicted from a long time ago. We might go back, for instance, to Genesis chapter 49. We were looking at the life of Jacob just recently here in church. And in Genesis 49, we find Jacob blessing his sons. It was Joseph we had in church, but Jacob's son. Jacob is blessing his sons. And amongst the blessings that he gives to each of his sons, he says, and Judah will have the scepter. He will be the one who rules. So way back in the beginning, a kingdom, the scepter is the, is the sign of who rules and who is reigning. One is given to the queen at her coronation. Someone is coming from the line of Judah who will rule one day. We move on a few hundred years and we come to 1 Chronicles and we find David is uh, building his kingdom or he's established his kingdom. He's thinking about what's going to happen next. And God comes to him and God promises to David that one of your own sons, his throne will last forever. David's kingdom doesn't last forever. David eventually dies. But someone in David's line is coming who will be a king, who will sit on the throne, and who will last forever. The prophet Micah tells us where he will be born. Micah, Matthew quotes Isaiah and Micah, and he says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says the same thing. The one who will rule will be born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah and he will be a ruler over my people. And then we go to the book of Daniel, perhaps. There's a great story in Daniel chapter 2 about Nebuchadnezzar has a great dream and he invites all his astrologers and wise men, some of whom are called Magi in to interpret the dream for him and they can't do it and eventually Daniel gets called in and what is the dream? The dream is about a statue whose head is gold, whose torso is silver, whose thighs and legs are bronze, whose, so his legs are iron and whose feet are clay and Daniel says that a time is coming 
when a stone, something quite small, will roll down, uncut by human hands, and will destroy the statue and set up a mountain. And it's an image of a kingdom coming when these kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar's head of gold and the kingdoms that follow him are gone, God will establish a kingdom that will rule over all the earth. And Daniel later talks about one who is called the Son of Man, who is given power and authority and an everlasting dominion and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. The Galleon, the good news, is that a kingdom is coming, a kingdom that has been predicted from way back when. And then the kingdom is announced. People come and announce the kingdom. Malachi tells us that a messenger will come who will prepare the way before the Lord. Isaiah describes a voice crying in the wilderness. And these people get recognized when John the Baptist comes. Do you remember how John the Baptist begins his ministry? He says, repent. Why repent? Because the kingdom of God is near. We need to repent because the kingdom is near. And a little later, Jesus comes and Jesus begins his ministry. And how does Jesus begin his ministry? He begins with repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. The Galleon, the good news is that there is a new kingdom and a new king. And therefore, the right response to that is to repent. And as Jesus continues his ministry, not only is the kingdom predicted and announced, but it's described. References made to the kingdom, according to my counting anyway, about 99 times in the New Testament. It's a central theme of all that goes on. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. The rest of the Gospels talk about the kingdom of God. If you've ever wondered why that is, it's because, probably because Matthew is a good Jew and he's writing primarily to Jews and Jews are very fussy about the way you use the name of God. If you go online even today and go to some Jewish websites, you'll find that they refer to God as G-D because they don't even like writing the name God. So Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. Who's in heaven? God is. It's the same thing. And what do we learn about this kingdom? We learn, for example, that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out to sow seed. The kingdom is like weeds in a field. The kingdom is like treasure in a field. The kingdom is like a pearl of great price or a net full of fish or a vineyard let out to tenants. The kingdom is like ten bridesmaids with their lamps. It's like yeast mixed into dough, like a wedding banquet, like servants who are given talents to use. 
I wonder how much sometimes we get engrossed in the stories. I know I do. And we forget what it is exactly that the story is about. We hear about the weeds and the treasure and the pearl. And we overlook that it's describing the king and the kingdom. And so the king has come. Jesus goes through the towns and villages proclaiming the kingdom of God. He teaches that blessed are the poor. Why? Because the kingdom is theirs. Blessed are the persecuted. That never feels very comfortable, does it? But why are they blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom. Jesus teaches us to pray for the kingdom. We did it just now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. He teaches us to make it a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you as well. And he tells his followers to go and proclaim the kingdom. To announce the euangelion. And so the king comes. The king is given to us. The angel comes to Mary and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. We know the story so well, don't we? It flows off the tongue. But he goes on. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Remember that prophecy? And he will reign over Jacob's descendants. Remember that prophecy? And his kingdom will never end. Remember that prophecy? And the shepherds bless them. They're out in the field at night. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to them. And he says, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. There it is. The gospel. The euangelion. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For to you in the town of David is born a saviour. The Messiah. Christ the Lord. The one predicted and expected. So. The king has come. The kingdom is near. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? The title I was given for today was The Hatred of the Baby Jesus. The king and the kingdom is predicted and announced, but when he comes, how do people respond? How do we respond? The Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Four groups of people, it seems to me, receive that news. And four groups of people respond in different ways. There's Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph get the news and they respond with submission with kindness and with love. 
They choose to take this baby that's given to them and bring him up. The chief priests and the teachers of the law know the prophecies. They quote Micah and Isaiah to the king. He will be born in Bethlehem. He's expected. He's anticipated. But they ignore him. They overlook him. Herod is disturbed. Well, why wouldn't he be? I've got a kingdom already. I'm the king. And you've come telling me there's a new king and a new kingdom. And Herod responds with negativity and rejection. He's the king of the Jews. He doesn't want a new kingdom. So he seeks to destroy the baby king before he begins to reign. And then lastly, there's the Magi, the wise men from the east who come. They come to worship him and they bring their generosity and their devotion. People respond in different ways, with kindness, with ignoring him, with negativity, with generosity. What about us? I said this passage contains a four-letter word that some people may find objectionable. The word is king. But the truth is that many of us, we want to be in control of our own lives. We want to live life our way. We want to be our own king in our own kingdom. And we find it hard to accept that someone else could be, someone else should be in control. The Evangelion, the good news is that the king has come. The kingdom is established. It's a seed that grows into the largest tree. It's the yeast that works all the way through the dough. The king invites us to make his kingdom our first priority. Are we amongst those who ignore him or overlook him? Are we going to treat him with negativity and rejection? Or are we going to respond to him with kindness and love and do we bring him our best gifts and our devotion a challenge for us how do we respond to the king who has come oh in case you missed it one last thing there's good news the kingdom has come The king is here.